morning to each one of you. It's good to see each of you and, and be here with you. This morning I'd like to uh, look at a, a story, a situation in the Bible that we have a fair amount of detail about. I, as well as you, have probably wondered why uh, in Scripture, at times, God gives us quite a bit of detail about certain individuals, certain situations, and others who basically leave most everything out. Um, we certainly don't have everything recorded that, that Jesus said, or did, or Paul, or Peter. But we have a lot left about Leviathan. What do you know about Leviathan? Who was he? Somebody. Who was Leviathan? Nobody knows? He was one of Jesus' disciples. Leviathan. Or Bartholomew. You heard of him? Somebody heard of Bartholomew? Yeah, we know who he was. How about Asher? Who was Asher? Anybody know who Asher was? One, one of Joseph's brothers, yeah. We have a whole lot more about Joseph than we do about Asher. Why? Why is that? I think, you know, obviously God had a purpose in telling us a lot more about Joseph than he did about Asher. This morning we, we want to look at the church at Philippi. Um, I know a lot of us have been thinking a lot about church over uh, the last number of years and uh, throughout our life, hopefully. I know I did as a very little boy. It was, church was always a huge part of my life. Um, one reason was my mom and dad thought it was important to be at church whenever there was church. And so we, we almost never missed uh, church for most any reason. And, and I was, you know, my grandpa and great-grandpa and uncles and brothers and dad were all church leaders. And so that was another reason that I thought a lot about church. Um, so, the church at Philippi is interesting because we, we have quite a bit of detail about how it started. And before we turn there, uh, let's just uh, go a bit by memory. What do we know about the church at Philippi? Somebody, just throw something out. What do we know about the church at Philippi? Who started it? That was a study, yes. The Christian jailer, Lydia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, there's another fairly main character. Who's, uh, who's another fairly main character in those beginning stages of the, of the church there? Or of the study, anyway. Okay, so Paul, Paul and Silas were there, and they ended up where? In prison, yeah. Why? Why did they end up in prison? Yes, the demon-possessed girl was, was a, a pretty big player in the, in the story there. Uh, she was following around and uh, proclaiming that these men are from God and, and uh, this weary Paul. And he cast the demons out of her, and that started the chain of events that ended up putting Paul and Silas in jail. And then you know the story how uh, how they were there in jail. Uh, let's think a little bit about the context. Uh, this, this story is in Acts 15. Uh, what happened in Acts chapter 15, just before this? What happened there? There's something that we all know about Acts 15. Hopefully, what what happened in Acts 15? Okay, yeah. There was this big gathering at uh, Jerusalem to try to decide what uh, the Christian church was going to require of Gentile believers. At this point, a lot of the new believers were Jews, and uh, as Gentiles started coming to the faith, there was quite a bit of disagreement how this is going to work. There was provision in the Old Testament for Gentiles to become part of the Jewish nation, but there was some hoops to jump through. And was that going to continue to be the case? So they had this conference in Jerusalem. They came to a conclusion. And then uh, the church in uh, Jerusalem wrote a letter to the Gentile congregation. And they asked Paul and Barnabas and Judas and Silas to take, take this letter and share it with, with the churches of, of the Gentile believers. So they did that. And, uh, and then at Antioch, uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, started a discussion about going and visiting the churches that they had started. And... Uh, and they just had a disagreement about John Mark. They parted ways. And Paul chose Silas and continued on with the plan to, to visit the churches. So they were going to, from church to church, church, encouraging the new believers and also passing on to them this letter of this, the decision that had been made at Jerusalem. So that's the setting. Uh, leading up to this story. So let's turn our Bible to Acts 16, and we'll read, it's a fairly long story, we'll read part of it. 
uh, John Menton uh, had all silent for determining God's leading, uh, where they should go. They, uh, they tried different places and they came to a closed door, and, and then uh, Paul had the dream of going to Macedonia and saw this man say, come help us. So that, that leads us up to chapter 15, verse 11. And we'll start reading there. Therefore, Lucian and Coed, who came with a straight course to Samothrace, I'm struggling with that word, but it was a place where they uh, went to. <laughs> and then the next day to ne- ne- Neapolis, and from then to Philippi, which is the history of that part of Macedonia. And a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spoke unto the women, which reported thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, fellow of purple, of the city of Thyatira, came and worshipped God and heard us. Whose heart the Lord opened, that he attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she bethought of saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us. Which brought her master's much gain by two things. The same followed Paul and us, crying and saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this is the many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and to the rulers, and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city, and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive you to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates went off the clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had made many threats upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jail to keep them safely. But having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Paul prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners killed them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loose. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in and came trembling. 
and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. I think we'll stop there. Um, we get the setting of the beginning of the church at Philippi. Uh, there's, there's a lot of very interesting things in this story that we won't spend much time on. One is, often wondered uh, later, towards the end of the chapter, when uh, when they went to release Paul, Paul said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, and you beat me, and you, you can't do that. And, uh, and they uh, got very sober about this because that was a violation of the law. Why did Paul wait for after he was beat to say that he's a Roman citizen? And hey, he could have saved himself a beating. I've often pondered that. Uh, and one thing that I wondered, is back to what John said, uh, he called this man from Bastogon and said, Come help us. Uh, I often wondered, what did that man look like in his dream? Did he look like a soldier? Did he look like a jailer, man? Who knows? But uh, getting beaten and thrown in jail would most obviously get you around a number of men because they don't. They put women in jail, but uh, I think there's more men there. And uh, so maybe, maybe Paul was willing to take the beating to meet the man in his dream. I don't know. But uh, anyway, he waited. He waited to claim his citizenship until after, until after he was beaten and went through uh, all of that. Back to the, the beginning of the church there, I think we can uh, assume some things. What, like we have, uh, we have record that the jailer was baptized and then his household. So that was part of that uh, body of believers. And Lydia and her household. Now I don't think we have any record that, that the slave girl uh, was baptized. But I think, I think it would be maybe safe to assume that God delivering her uh, from the demons, that, that she would, be, would have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and been part of the church there as well. So, what do these three have in common? Uh, let's just surmise a bit. They, they lived in the same city. I think that's clear. Uh, most likely, they were Roman citizens that he gathered there. This was a Roman colony. This was a, a military outpost where everything was done. Uh, just like in Rome, you you had to obey every law. Just like if you lived in Rome, you had to dress a certain way. You had to be just like as if you lived in Rome. This was a little outpost of Rome. And uh, history would say that uh, military, uh, retired military leaders would often go to these colonies and, and live there and, and 
that's what Philip uh, Hyde was a Roman colony. Uh, they were all kings, I think that's a given. All people were. Uh, and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and were baptized. So that's, those are some of the things they had in common. But then there were differences. And, and uh, in every church family, there's differences. What were some of the differences, most likely? Uh, their social status, most likely, was different. Now, I don't know a lot about uh, the history of the jailers of that time, but I think it would be safe to assume that, that they were not refined men. Uh, they were probably not uh, sitting around drinking tea or coffee or wine or whatever with Midian. Uh, they probably were a different social class. Their income was probably different. Obviously, the slave girl's income was very different than Lydia's. Um, and, and it's quite likely they maybe didn't even know each other uh, prior to coming to Christ, because I doubt that they interacted uh, with, with one another on a, on a daily basis. So there was there was uh, differences, even though they they lived in the same city. But now they're part of the church at Philippi, and, and I realize I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I think it's fairly safe. Now I'd like to move from the beginning of the church at Philippi to Paul's letter. To, to the Philippians and, uh, and see uh, a little what we can learn farther about the church at Philippi. This is an interesting letter. You know, Paul wrote many letters to many churches. And uh, there's some things in his letters, and some of that carries over into this letter, but not all. Uh, this letter is written uh, roughly 10 years, according to historians, uh, from the time the church was started. This is 10 years later now, he's writing a letter. Uh, this is considered one of Paul's most personal letters to any church. He, is, he obviously has a very deep love and appreciation for these people. Uh, he doesn't address himself as an apostle, which was a theme in a number of his letters where it appeared like people were challenging his apostleship. And he defends himself uh, quite the great length of time saying, I am an apostle. He doesn't mention that here. He starts out, he just says, um, I'm a servant. Southern of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's how he addresses himself. It appears that uh, the, the church of Philippi has, has helped him financially. If you go to uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 18, we have 
uh, indication of that. This is some, some people would consider this letter uh, a thank you letter to Jesus Church for their financial help that they have given to him. Uh, let's just read a few verses there, chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at the last, your care for me has flourished again. So they had helped him before, and now they're doing it again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in, not that I speak in, speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I, both, I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound, everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notwithstanding, he hath well done that he did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church was communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full. Having received of Ephroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. So he really, you know, compliments them and praises them for for their financial help in uh, in many cities. So that that's a, a connection that Paul had with his church, and and he. Uh, there's some uh, very uh, well-known passages in this, like Philippians chapter two. What comes to your mind when you think of Philippians chapter two? Anyone? Yeah, a very common. Uh, uh, Verses that we turn to many times, uh, using Christ. Throughout, well, throughout Paul's, all of Paul's letters, and especially this one, he keeps coming back to Christ. Christ is very central in Paul's life and, and in his letters, and he's using Christ as an example of humility and, and a mind of humility that, that all followers of Christ must uh, put on. He also uh, talks a bit, uh, quite a bit about Ephrodite. Um, the church at Philippi sent Ephrodite with this latest gift, it would seem like, and he was there working very hard, uh, helping Paul, and it doesn't say what all that help was, but it, it sounds like maybe the finances ran low. And Ephroditus maybe was working very hard to earn some money, and he became very sick. It doesn't say he was on a ventilator, but he was pretty sick. He might have been. I don't know. Um, 
Colin had a very close uh, friendship with this Mr. Dice, and, and uh, he wanted to restore the church back at Philippi was uh, properly thanked for what he had done for Paul, and that there was no way that they would look down on him for having gotten sick in, in Paul's care. And, and Paul was very glad to send him back healthy and well, because he would have been very deeply saddened had he died there helping him. There's also uh, a conflict in the church there that Paul addresses. There's a couple ladies that seem to have gotten into each other's hair, and he thinks that uh, that should not be, and that they should try to work that out. And there seems to be a, an, an overall call to, to unity that is, that is there. As I was reading this letter uh, numerous times recently, there's the thing that uh, jumped out at me, and I'd like to spend the remainder of our time looking at some words that reoccur in, uh, in this letter. Uh, there, there's a number of all-inclusive words and a number of all-exclusive words. Inclusive words are like all things, every, always. Now, those are pretty strong words, but Paul uses them repeatedly. And, and then there's words like nothing, without, one, just exclude everything, everything else. And, and so I'd like to, to just read down through some of these verses. And, it, and it, I will admit it's a little rambling, and I don't like rambling sermons, and you don't either, probably. But there's nuggets of truth here, and, and maybe one or two or three will, will stick out to you and help you like it did me. So, um, you don't need to turn to these, but I would like to just go down through them, highlighting uh, how strongly Paul states these things. And, and again, I think there's a purpose. This church was very close to Paul's heart, and he wanted to communicate these truths to them. And I think he would like us to pay attention here this morning as well. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's a pretty strong statement. All things. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Uh, that would be a good verse to teach the children. If there's murmuring and disputing at home. Uh, something to think about. Philippians 3.8. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. Paul is saying that, that he counts all things as loss so that he could win Christ. Nothing. Nothing is big enough, important enough, dear enough to Paul to get in the way of his love for Christ. 
Therefore, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Every one of us are not supposed to be all caught up in our own things, but looking at the things of others. Uh, to be other-oriented, we, we are born selfish by nature, and Paul was keenly aware of that. But he's challenging them to be empty of self and thinking of others. And then he, he makes some uh, strong statements that, uh, going on there in chapter 2 about big, broad picture kinds of things. He says this, Wherefore, in talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore God also hath exalted, highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. So Jesus is the, the preeminent one. And then he goes on and says, that at the name of Jesus, every need to bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every knee, every tongue. And I think, I think Paul is saying that of all people in all times, that that is going to be the case. Every knee, every tongue. Let's be bowing the knee now and confessing the Lord Jesus Christ with our tongues now when we can do it out of love and gratitude for what Christ has done for us rather than someday when we are forced to do it because we have rejected Christ. And here's one that I'll mention here and we'll zero in on it just a little bit later. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, there's that word again, every, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let the request be made known to God. And we'll look at that a little bit more later. Let's look at a few times he uses the word always. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul's no longer a very young man, and and he he mentions uh, in in his letter here. Uh, that, that very common uh, verse, I press on for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He, you, can, you can see in, in Paul's life this kind of gut wrenching uh, tension of wanting to die and go to be with Christ, but feeling the need to be there and to continue to present Christ to the law to the, the young Christians, to the, the church that he started, he, he feels this tension that he'd like to be 
both places, but he knows he can only be at one. And so he he has this this uh, this tension in his in his life, and and he's willing that he's willing to do either to stay or to go. But either way, his his goal and his and his uh, whole purpose is Christ. Preaching Christ here or going to be with him there. Uh, that is central to his to his life. Thinking again of the people there at Philippi, he says this, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I don't wonder. He says they always obeyed. Uh, what a thing to say to a church. Uh, Paul was not one to smooth uh, over sin or things. His expectations were not just mediocre. Paul had high expectations for the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he, he was pretty demanding. Remember some of his letters to the Corinthian church. He was saying, I'm I'm writing a letter, and I'm saying these hard things in a letter because when I come, I don't want to. I want to be nice to you when I come, but this letter, you know, really getting to the point here. He's he telling the church of Philippi that you always obey, always. <laughs> How many of us uh, can say that about ourselves or about our children or whatever, our students at school? Always obey. What's the target here for closing time? Uh, I won't go too much longer. Uh, nothing. Paul used that term a number of times. Here's his testimony. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. There's that scene again. I'm not going to be ashamed. My life is all out for Christ. Philippians 4:6, another very common verse. And it said to this church at Philippi, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he follows with this. This is the byproduct of that. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding to keep your hearts and minds to Christ. You could say it this way. Peace is the byproduct of not worrying about anything and praying about everything. If you forget everything else I say today, take that home with you. If you want to live a life of peace, don't worry about anything and pray about everything. Those are pretty strong, all-inclusive words. Um, or exclusive. Don't worry about anything. That's one I struggle with. 
praying about everything that's coupled with that. You can't do the one without the other. And you can't experience the peace that follows unless you do both. Shun the worrying, taking things to God and everything to God in prayer, and then the peace, the peace follows. There's uh, a phrase that Paul uses uh, in his call to this, this church at Philippi. He's calling them to to a oneness, a unity, and uh, like we said, there were differences between the, the, the few people that we know. Uh, most likely, were part of that body of believers, and uh, and he says this. Let the conversation be as if you come the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, I'd like to continue to hear things. And, and uh, Paul doesn't know if he's ever going to visit these people again, but he has people going back and forth. Ephroditus and Timothy have been going from him to the church of Philippi and back. And as I hear of what's going on there, I want to hear that, that, that there's a one, a one that's the spirit and mind among you. Fulfill you my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So that, those are calls to, to the body of believers. And then he has this testimony about himself in chapter 3. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The question that I would have for us this morning is, what is that one thing in your life? He says here, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. What is that one thing that you do? What is that one thing that I do in my life? This one thing I do for Paul was to press for that prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. If, if you would have been a soldier uh, coupled with Paul, um, would have that been apparent? That one thing. Do you think the soldiers that took care of Paul, guarded Paul, knew what that one thing was in his life? I think probably. You know that that night in the jail when they were singing crazy when the earthquake came. Did the other did the other prisoners know what the one thing was 
in Paul and Silas' life? I think so. Why didn't they run when the doors flew open? I don't know. I'm sure God had a hand in that. But, but they, were, they were captivated by Paul and Silas and their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, blood running down their back. They had just been beaten badly. And they were there singing and praising. That's not normal. That's not the normal way that you spend your first night in jail. And, and it caught their attention of the other prisoners. So in closing, this study has really been encouraging to me, and I hope that it is to you. I would encourage you to just, the, the book of Philippians is not that big. You could sit down this afternoon and read it from cover to cover. And uh, it's a good it's a very good read when you think of church life and, and our church family. Think of the different backgrounds and how these people were able to worship and fellowship together. If you want the peace, don't worry about anything and pray about everything. If you want to be a bright light, Paul says that... Uh, you can shine a star in this world, but you do everything without complaining and arguing. That's how you shine as a star. If you want to experience contentment, that strength comes from Christ. All things, even contentment in the times of need, is possible to Christ. If you want Jesus as your Lord, you need to bow the knee, you need to confess with your tongue. If you want oneness and unity, Christ has to be number one in your life. I would challenge us as a church, uh, and this you may recognize, I'm, I'm uh, borrowing from John F. Kennedy. For those of you that remember him, I'm going to his thing a little bit, but it's this. We should not ask, what can my church do for me? We should ask, what can I do for my church, the body of Christ? I think that would help us. And I think that we see Paul's deep love for the church at Philippi, we can learn a lot what can help us uh, be more like Christ in, in our church.